Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, April 13th. In today's news, demand from coronavirus patients is causing shortages of asthma drugs and sedatives. Experts inside the government say reopening the economy by May 1st could be unrealistic. And a difficult, lonely Easter was live-streamed worldwide. But first, the big idea. Some victims of the coronavirus see their conditions collapse so fast that doctors and loved ones are left reeling. Such was the case of 59-year-old Keith Redding. Swathed in protective gear, his wife Dana knelt beside her husband's hospital bed here in D.C., And repeated over and over the only words she could think of. I love you. She reached through the tangle of tubes that were taking the blood from his body and flushing it with oxygen. And clutched his limp hand in one of her gloved ones. It had been barely three weeks since Keith started feeling weary and nauseated. Then came the diarrhea and the horse hacking cough. Early symptoms of COVID-19 though neither of them knew it then. By the time Dana drove Keith to the emergency room on March 11th, a week after his symptoms first appeared, some 30% of his lungs had been damaged. On a 3D CAT scan of his chest, the profusion of viral particles and dead cells showed up like scattered bits of broken glass. His condition declined as the disease spread through his body, a storm of inflammatory proteins overwhelming his vital organs one by one. More than a million people worldwide have been diagnosed with COVID-19. The number of confirmed cases in the United States now stands at more than 550,000, and the number of deaths in our country reached more than 21,000 on Sunday. The majority of people are able to fend off the infection without hospitalization. But for reasons doctors still don't fully understand, far too many others have been like Keith. After a week of mostly mild symptoms, Their besieged immune systems seem to go into overdrive. Their bodies are bombarded by their own protective cells. Their lungs seize up. Their hearts break down. Keith Mortman, a thoracic surgeon at George Washington University Hospital, where Keith was treated, says there's no parallel that he or other physicians can compare this to. Dr. Mortman says Keith's lungs had come to resemble an oversaturated sponge, an oppressive, wet weight in his chest cavity. Keith didn't have any pre-existing conditions except for high blood pressure. Yet each day, Keith's condition deteriorated. Provoked by the intense damage to his lungs, his embattled immune system unleashed an army of cytokines, proteins that send signals of an attack. These cytokines coursed through his body, triggering a systemic immune response that left his vital organs inflamed. That's when Keith's heart failed, and then his kidneys failed. Internist Katrina Hawkins said everything in Keith's body just shut down. That is the tragedy of the coronavirus. It hijacks the systems that are supposed to protect us. It tricks the body into betraying itself. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. Hospitals in regions experiencing a surge of coronavirus patients are struggling to maintain supplies of antibiotics, antivirals, and sedatives required for patients on ventilators 
as well as other drugs produced in countries where the pandemic has halted or curbed manufacturing. New York, the state with the highest number of infections and deaths in the United States, has experienced spikes in demand for fentanyl and other sedatives needed by patients experiencing respiratory failure who were placed on ventilators for up to two weeks. The FDA placed another sedative called midazolam on an official drug shortage list last month. Other drug shortages have emerged as unintended consequences of the coronavirus. When doctors hoping to prevent the coronavirus from getting airborne inside their facilities avoided nebulizers for patients with respiratory trouble, they inadvertently created shortages of everyday albuterol asthma inhalers in hospitals and retail pharmacies. The shortages have also highlighted heavy U.S. dependence on bulk drug ingredients and finished medicines manufactured in China, India, and Europe, as well as the FDA's limited ability to monitor global supply chains, creating vulnerabilities for our health system in this time of crisis. If supply conditions worsen, particularly in hard-hit regions like New York that are suffering from rapid surges, a lack of sedative and paralytic drugs needed to safely intubate patients with severe respiratory failure could prove just as critical as the lack of ventilators. The next shortage that experts are worrying about is grocery workers who are increasingly abandoning their posts out of fear for their own health. At least 41 grocery workers have now died of the coronavirus. Thousands more have tested positive. Doug Pressler wasn't thinking about that risk when he took a cashier job at a supermarket in Iowa. But five months in, he's found himself at the forefront of this global crisis with really no training or protection, save for the pocket-sized bottle of hand sanitizer and the Ziploc he carries that's full of disposable gloves that he brings to work from home each day. The 51-year-old has told himself not to live in fear, yet he concedes that he increasingly is. Even the most routine tasks feel increasingly fraught. Accepting bills and giving change scare him the most. And he's run through so much hand sanitizer now that his skin is cracking. Some liken their job to working in a war zone, knowing that showing up to work could ultimately kill them. More workers across the country are staying home or quitting their jobs, according to interviews with more than a dozen employees, leaving many markets short-staffed and ill-prepared to deal with what has been a doubling in demand for groceries in recent weeks as Americans don't eat out and prepare more and more of their meals at home. Job postings for grocery clerks have jumped 60% in the past four weeks, and the language in the job postings has become more desperate. In a 24-hour period this weekend, the coronavirus killed 758 people in New York. Data suggests the spread is slowing. Andrew Cuomo, the governor, said yesterday that the death toll in the state is now 9,385. Other indicators have become more positive, according to the governor, continuing last week's pattern during which even as hundreds of people died daily, rates of hospitalization and other data suggested that the spread was slowing. Overall, Cuomo said we're not seeing a decline in the numbers, but we are seeing a flattening. The fire department in the Big Apple reports that many people who are badly sick are refusing to be taken to hospitals. EMTs say that people fear they'll contract the virus if they agree to leave their homes, even if they already have it. But in some cases, they're dying because they refuse to be taken in for treatment. One of the other awful things that we're hearing from the front line in New York is a surge in pregnant women being forced to deliver prematurely because they have the coronavirus. For example, a 31-year-old pregnant woman was in peril this weekend, her lungs ravaged by the virus. If they delivered her baby right then, it could reduce the strain on her body and help her survive, but her due date wasn't for more than two months, 
and the infant would have difficulty breathing, feeding, and maintaining temperature and be at risk for long-term health problems. In the end, the obstetricians agreed. Neither the mother, who was on a ventilator, nor the child in her womb was getting enough oxygen to make it, and the best chance to save both of them was to bring the baby into the world. So they did. Number two. Public health experts on Sunday debated the question of when to reopen portions of the U.S. economy, with several Trump administration officials cautioning that a target date of May 1st, floated by President Trump, among others, may not be realistic. FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn said on ABC that it's just too early to say whether May 1 is workable, but that it's still a target. These comments came on Easter, when Trump had earlier said he wanted things to be reopened. Some experts, like Tony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, argued Sunday that rather than a sudden reopening of the entire country, the U.S. will likely institute a rolling reentry into normal life, depending on the conditions in different regions. Fauci said on CNN that it's not going to be like a light switch. Fauci also said that a stronger response by the Trump administration to the outbreak, quote, could have saved lives, but while characterizing the decision to implement social distancing guidelines as complicated, The measured comments by Fauci provoked an outcry among right-wing commentators online. One former Republican congressional candidate tweeted that it was, quote, time to fire Fauci. Trump retweeted that comment, a practice he's often done in the past to show his anger with critics within his own administration rather than directly commenting himself. The D.C. region, meanwhile, reported 44 additional deaths on Sunday. The number of known infections in this region grew to 15,400. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser says local health officials now believe that the city is not on track to see coronavirus hospitalizations peak until June, well after other cities, and a reminder of the danger of opening on May 1. Number three, for many Christians, Easter was spent at home, praying behind closed doors and following mass on televisions or computers. Pope Francis spoke in a vacant St. Peter's Basilica as church bells clanged across Rome. In Jerusalem, the sounds of the thousands of pilgrims who normally follow the Via Dolorosa, Jesus' final walk on earth, was replaced this weekend by the clinking steps of Israeli police officers on patrol, keeping people off the streets. Several U.S. churches held drive-in Easter services. Some worshipers traveled across state lines to attend one of the seven in-person services that went on in Kentucky despite a state order that they not be allowed to convene. About 50 worshipers from states as far as Ohio and New Jersey came to Maryville, Kentucky, for instance. In West Virginia, a church spent its Easter making face shields using 3D printers. Families were invited one by one to come in and make personal protective equipment for donation. Once they left, the room was sanitized. And some other good news, Boris Johnson was discharged from the hospital. The UK prime minister spent nearly a week in the intensive care unit. In a video statement, he thanked the National Health Service for saving his life. Now he will continue his recovery at Checkers, the official country home of the prime minister, and will not yet return to work. It will be up to the doctors to decide how long he recuperates there before returning to 10 Downing Street. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, April 13th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.